Welcome to the Command Post podcast powered by First Do. I'm your host, Tom Lewis, First Do's Enterprise Training Manager. I am very pleased today to welcome Chief Billy Goldfeder, a fire service legend that really needs no introduction. However, here goes. Chief Goldfeder currently serves as the Deputy Chief of the Loveland Sims Fire Department in Ohio. His firefighting career began in 1973, and he has since made countless contributions to the worldwide fire service, including founding The Secret List and co-founding firefightercloscalls.com with Gordon Graham. He's a subject matter expert for the Centers for Disease Control, NIOSH Firefighter Fatality Investigation and Prevention Program. He has been honored with many accolades during his nearly 50-year career, including the International Society of Fire Service Instructors, Instructor of the Year Award for 2004, the 2007 Nassau County, New York, Francis X. Pendle Fire Service Humanitarian Award, and the FDIC International Fire Engineering Chief Tom Brennan Lifetime Achievement Award. Chief Goldfeder is the author of the best-selling series of books, Pass It On. He is also the founder of 40plusfire.com, a website dedicated to firefighter awareness of prostate cancer and the focus of today's conversation. His contributions to our industry are unparalleled. But as you'll see in this podcast, his love for his family, especially his children and grandchildren, affectionately called the six-pack, tops just about anything he loves about the fire service. Well, Chief Goldfeder, thank you uh, for coming on the Command Post podcast today. I'm just grateful to have you with us. And uh, we've got some serious things to talk about today, but I want to kind of start off a little more more lighthearted and and a little more light right now. So um, the secret list. All right, and firefighter close calls. So two questions, I think many may know the answer, but many do not. So one, which came first, firefighter close calls or the secret list? And I know you work with Gordon Graham on firefighter close calls. So secret list came first. In 1998, I got my, actually 1997, I got my first computer and uh, I started, uh, you know, looking for fire stuff. That's pretty much what I do. I, I mean, this is since I was a kid. Right. Fascinated by it. Of course, back then we didn't have the internet. So I just kept reading the same part of the world book encyclopedia over and over because there was nothing else to look at. And so I was on AOL and I would search uh, house fire, working fire, firefighter and get all kinds of cool stories. So I started sharing with some friends and that list grew and grew and grew. I mean, this guy would say, hey, can you add me to your list or can you add Joe? And over time, it just really grew. Um, and so where'd the name come from? Cause I would just write, you know, uh, check out this house fire or look at this incident or look at them stretching hose, you know, something like that. So what I did was, um, I put in parentheses back in the old AOL. If you put names in parentheses, that was BCC, that was blind carbon copy. Okay. So, um, people would not know who that was, who was on my list. So they started asking me and I said, it was a secret. I was just screwing with them. There was nothing really behind it. There was no logic. We didn't have some big corporate meeting or anything like that. Um, So, yeah, so that's where the secret list got started. And uh, we, we've been offered to been bought. Uh, Our list is not for sale. Our secret list is not for sale, but it's worth a whole lot more than I ever thought it was. (laughs) And we have uh, it's international and Several hundred thousand subscribers. We'll leave it at that. That's fantastic. Uh, that we had to go to a well. We had to go to a professional service for delivery and all that because 
uh, when I was on AOL, actually, one of my firefighters worked for AOL in Virginia. So okay. he was able to actually get in where I could send large groups, but it became insane. Uh, and now we have a system you can subscribe. It costs you nothing, yada, yada. So I was teaching for a group called Command School. And Command School was run by a chief in Pennsylvania, Glenn Usden. And about four or five times a year, Glenn would bring a bunch of us together. Uh, Carl Holmes, Dennis Rubin, Brunacini. Uh, uh, I, I mean, many more that I'm just not remembering right now. Right. And he would bring us like, it was like the circus coming to town. And we'd all come in for a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'd run a fire school. And it was all indoor. It was not tactical fire school. I mean, it wasn't hands-on. Uh, and Gordon Graham was one of the uh, one of the participants. And I've been teaching for Glenn since like 95, I guess, uh, for command school. Uh, and so Gordon and I had become friends. And I'd seen him for many years and was a fan. And we'd become friends prior to that. But then we were teaching together and really enjoyed hanging out and doing dinners and stuff like that. Mm. So Gordon said, why don't you have a website? And I said, well, at the time, I was actually going through some significant changes in my life. So I didn't have any money. Uh, and I was really busy. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, when you find time, I'll provide the funding. And that's how firefighterclosecalls.com got started. Um, and uh, it was about six months later, I reached out to him. I said, you know, I think maybe we ought to do this. Now, this was after he annoyed me a whole lot and said, we need to do this. We need to do this. And I just didn't feel like I had time to do anything else. You know, but we always feel that way. Well, you make time for stuff. Right. And so that's how firefighterclosecalls.com got, st got started. And we are the number one most visited firefighter survival website in the world where we'd have nothing else on there. There's no advertising. There's no blogs, no blah, 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 nothing. It's just pure what's going on. Here's the deal with a little opinion from time to time. Uh, we accept no advertising. It's still self-funded uh, through Gordon. Uh, and um, that's it. That's the story. Uh, as it grew, uh, a couple of guys were offering to help me do it, and I needed the help. Uh, so the thing, the secret list, I write 99.999% of those myself. Wow. Okay. I was going to ask you because they come yeah. out, they come out regularly, Billy. Yeah, no, that's, that's a regular part of my life. And uh, now I send it to our crew and then they set it up in the uh, delivery program and it goes out, but it goes out within a minute or two usually. Uh, and that server then cranks it out wherever the emails are going. But over time, as we expand firefighter close calls, Com. We just pretty much just posted news for a while. And then we said, well, what about incidents involving communications? So we reached out to a guy who's an expert in communications, and now he owns that section. Okay. That's his responsibility. Uh, what about drills? What about, you know, so as you go to Firefighter Close Calls, you'll see different categories, and those are written by different people. And to see who those people are, just click on who we are or what about us or whatever on right. the website, and those guys are there. Uh, Brian Kazmerzak, who's a chief up in Michigan, he handles the day-to-day -day work with me. Uh, he handles uh, making sure that the technical side's working right, uh, keeps the guys in line. You know, there's about 12 of them, and they're firefighters, so typically they're screwing up something. Uh, so Kaz's job is to keep that going. And our, our uh, webmasters are firecompanies.com, and they've done a really, really good job for us 
uh, since we started this many, many years ago. So that's the uh, story of, of uh, the secret list and, and, and firefightercloscalls.com. And it's been, it's been a tremendous resource. I remember when it first came out and I secret list, but I subscribed right away. And, you know, I've been subscribing, you know, receiving them ever since. So remind me, you'd mentioned something about a little opinion in the, in the, in your site. What I, what I want to hit on later, much later on is I want to get your take on candor and opinions in today's world, in today's fire service. I want to, I want to, I want to hear your perspective on that. Different world. Yeah. I want to hear your thoughts on that. Cause talk uh, about that whenever you want. Okay. So what a good and interesting background and what, what, what an impact it's making on the fire service made and is making on the fire service. And yeah, you know, and we're proud. It doesn't cost you a nickel. I know. We're very proud that rarely do we have to correct something. We're very sharp on our facts. Uh, Once in a while we'll get something wrong. Uh, but that also comes from my and our Rolodex. We know a lot of people. Sure. If something goes wrong somewhere, if I don't know the chief, I know somebody who does. And we'll often reach out to make sure that we have this right. Uh, so we take a lot of pride in that. Yeah, it's, it's kind I, of a big deal to us. It yeah. makes it, well, it's trustworthy. It's just, it's a trustworthy site. And yeah, well, I'm grateful for it. I know in my time on the job, I was able to get a lot of resources to help with training my crew. Um, you know, recognizing things, especially as it pertains to firefighter safety. So uh, thank you and, for that. And look, and, and you know, honestly, and, and this comes with the candor. We don't care if you like it or not. I don't mean you, but I mean, <laughs> if, if, you know, oh, you're posting firefighters, then don't do that. Shit, I don't know. I mean, when I was a young firefighter, the way I found out something went wrong in Los Angeles was reading fire engineering three or four months later. Today, we have the opportunity. Now, with the internet, you really got to be careful what you're reading and who wrote it. Sure. But, so that's why we, we take that with great uh, responsibility. Uh, and if you go to our website, odds are it's accurate. And, and, and whoever contributed knows what they're talking about. So. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it's trustworthy. And, and that's in today's day and so much information hitting us, not just from the fire side of things, but life in general you sometimes just don't know what is what you can trust. And it's nice to know you can go someplace and, and there's something trustworthy. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So let's go, let's go again. It's like I said, we started a little more light there, but I wanted to go a little more serious here about your new initiative, your new project 40 plus fire. So 40 plus fire.com that I, I saw it was focused primarily on prostate cancer. Okay. So What's what was the impetus for this one? Like this this new this new project of yours, um, which we know, and we'll talk more about you know cancer in the fire service and and, and pres- you know presumptive laws and documentation and all that. But I really want you to sh- kind of share this forty plus firefighter.com for people listening. It's four zero, the word plus fire all one word dot com right yeah. four so, zero p l u s f i r e dot com yeah yeah. So, so it came, it was developed based upon my body part, formerly known as my prostate. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, so I, I go for regular physicals like we should all be doing. And, and uh, uh, the last couple of years, my uh, PSA, which is what measures uh, the potential of prostate cancer. I'm going to speak very basic here because I'm very basic and I don't know a whole lot. Of okay. Stuff. It's good. It's good. So, yeah. So um, my PSA started to go up each year. And uh, so last spring, 
uh, early summer, I went for my physical. Uh, she said, your numbers are up again. I think we need to go see a urologist or we can wait. And I'm like, we ain't waiting for nothing. Uh, so I went to a urologist and the, uh, he said, odds are, uh, but let's do some tests. So he did some tests and came back and said, you absolutely have prostate cancer. I got to tell you, it, it didn't scare me. I didn't go crazy. I didn't start. I didn't. And I, I'm not sure. It's something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. Um, I was like, cool. All right, let's, let's deal with it. I mean, I wasn't happy. It wasn't a great point in my life. Right, but, right. But it but wasn't, I, was like, I mean, you weren't like the Tim McGraw song, right? Writing a bull named Fu, Fu Manchu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, um, but then they had to do more tests on me. And so your PSA measures the potential of, of prostate cancer. And they had also done when they take the glove and they stick it up your butt and they check your prostate that way. <laughs> and when they did that, um, they didn't feel anything unusual. So sometimes it's enlarged or whatever, and they didn't find that. Um, and to the guys listening, you know, stop your bullshit. You're not so manly that a doctor can't put a glove on and check your prostate. So just, just don't even, start that silliness so we uh he did he did some more testing he had to do a biopsy he did bone scans all that stuff and again i i i wish i could tell you i was worried and scared but i wasn't and i'm not sure why and we'll talk a little bit about that okay so um he came back and said yeah and you've got a very aggressive cancer and i was like yeah that that made me a little it was concerning, but again, oh my God, I'm going to die was never, ever part of the equation. And I got to tell you, for years thinking at some point, I'm probably going to get cancer. It's just by nature of our business and my age, I was always worried, oh my God, I'm going to freak out. And I remembered a saying when somebody said, why me? And then the other response is, why not me? And that's my response is, why not me? I mean, why, why am I so special that I wouldn't get cancer, right? <laughs> That's a hell that, you know, I want to just pause there because that's a hell of a perspective that I think people can take inspiration from that. It's not necessarily a death sentence. You're not necessarily special because of it. It is a, a, a possible, maybe not probable, but certainly a possible part of what we do. Yeah. So my doctor says, um, so we got the biopsy results back and I don't have good news. And I was like, nah, that's not great to hear. So your, 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 your Gleason score, I want to talk about that for a minute, your Gleason score. So we all know about stages of cancer, stage one, stage two, stage three, four, et cetera. That's where your cancer is right now, today. Where's your cancer? The Gleason score tells the speed in which it's moving. Okay, now a doctor on this call would say, well, that's not exactly right. And that's why I'm not a doctor. But it may, this is the best way to understand it. Okay. Okay. A Gleason score of one is great. A Gleason score of 10 is a death sentence. It's pretty bad. Uh, and I was a nine and a half. What? That was concerning. So again, though, not all I did was uh, do a little research. Uh, um, so... You, want to, you always want to get a second opinion. By the way, I, I went to a group here called the Urology Group. They're based in Cincinnati, and they were phenomenal. I cannot tell you how comfortable I felt with the doctor, the surgeon, everybody. They get it. 
Mm. Uh, and maybe they all do, but I'm just telling you about my experience. Well, and it, it just gives you, it's not an easy thing to deal with and having people that you, you can trust and yeah. that I'm sure part of that trust came from the education they were giving you too, because that always gives you some reassurance. Yes. My surgeon pulled out a, a, a screen and he drew on it and he showed me this. And it was, I was not on a conveyor belt. It was like a human to human contact. And nice. I really liked that. Nice. So, um, so the Gleason score was concerning. Um, and the doctor said, you have a very aggressive cancer. So we need to schedule either surgery or radiation. So that's a decision they made, they gave me, I had to pick one or the other. And the, the only way I was able to figure that out is by reaching out to the firefighter cancer support network. Uh, Mike Dubron, uh, who I've been friends with for years, all the books I've written have uh, many of the profits have gone to them. I've made personal donations to them, not knowing that I'd use their services at some point. Right. So um, Mike walked my wife, Terry and I through a algorithm by phone to help us decide whether wow. we wanted radiation or surgery because okay. the surgeon said it's up to you. Both have about the same results. That was my question. What was going to, yeah. you know, the result, what's, what's the out, outcome, the long-term with each one? Well, the speed of my cancer was concerning. So even though both the doctors said either would work for you, but we need to do something quickly. So um, we came to the conclusion of surgery. One, from a peace of mind standpoint, I knew it would be gone. I wouldn't be waiting. Uh, I mean, we're talking 30, 40 weeks of radiation, five days a week. Ooh. So I wouldn't be doing that every day. Uh, so quality of life was a little bit of an issue, but not a primary issue. But when they take it out, they take it out. Now, both ways, the radiation and the surgery, there is the possibility of spread, even though they think they got it all. Right. So that was concerning what they call leakage. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. Okay. And with prostate cancer, leakage fits in in many categories. Right. We'll talk about that later. <clears throat> so they, uh, we went through the process. And the biggest way for me to explain to you why we picked surgery is that if you do radiation, it basically the radiation goes in and destroys the prostate and stuff around it. If after radiation, you still need surgery, it's a much more complex surgery because so much around it's been destroyed. Okay. If you pick surgery and you still need radiation, it will work. So uh. you, can't, you can't go and have the same radiation I'm sorry, you can't go and have the same surgery I did after radiation. Understood, because like of what the radiation does to the, to the tissue. Yeah, to the region. Right. So, they, okay. so we picked, that was a no-brainer. I Also, um, you need a second opinion. Whether you find one or no one, That you got to have a second opinion. So uh, when I was a firefighter in Long Island uh, in the 70s, uh, I had a very close friend who I've remained close my whole life to. Our families are close. And we go to weddings, all that stuff. Uh, Dr. John Orens. Johnny was a firefighter paramedic with us back then. And he went to medical school and he now runs, he is the director and a full professor at Johns Hopkins. And he oversees mm. the entire Johns Hopkins pulmonary transplant unit. Okay. So he's not a prostate cancer expert, but by reaching out to him, he reached out to the doctor who runs Hopkins 
prostate cancer unit. And he agreed with everything my surgeon said. And he agreed the surgery was what you needed to do. So that gave me some really good peace of mind. When I shared with Johnny what my Gleason score was, he said, when is your meeting to schedule your surgery? And I said, next week, he said, when you meet with your doctor, you tell him you want your surgery tomorrow. So that was a sobering moment to me. Get that out of you. So again, not worried, not scared. I had no crying. No. Now let me take you where, where I did have emotion, my family. This may be arrogant, but my family needs me. Um, I'm very close to my kids. Uh, like talk two, three times a day sometimes. Nice. Uh, I'm very close to my six grandkids. Talk to them every night for them. Two of them live within a mile. Two of them live within 10 miles and two of them live in Maryland. And I'm in Maryland every month to see them. So that was the issue to me. I was thinking how sad they would be. Um, when my son calls me about a problem or my daughters call me with a problem, who are they going to call? So that got me really worried. And that motivated me to just keep doing what I was doing. Yeah, so that's, that, that's was, not that was my sadness. That was my sadness. Yeah. That's not arrogance. That's love. It was, and it was not about me. I mean, you yeah, know what? No. I could, I could, I could go to more. Uh, and, and of course my wife, uh, I'm, this is, uh, I've got a, a, a crazy, wonderful wife. Uh, we have a wonderful time together. Not every day is perfect, but nothing is. Right. But we just we just get it, and we have such a good click uh, with each other. We we would. I had a teacher in high school, Mr. Burroughs, and I remember Mr. Burroughs saying that he would rather spend the night sitting on a porch holding his wife's hand than he would if he could go to bed with Raquel Welch, which was a big thing back then. Oh, yeah. I, I laughed at him at my age back then, but man, I totally get it today. How many years I you been totally married? I totally get it. Big deal. How many, uh, how many, how many years you've been married? Uh, this is our 18th year, but I got another 20 of another marriage. <laughs> <laughs> so, which, you know what? My, my ex-wife and I are, are friends. We're close. We had kids together. Just didn't work. Just the way it, what it is um, for a variety of reasons. But Terry and I have been together a long time and she came into my life at the right time. I'm not sure if we had met in the seventies, it would have been the same click. So, you know, you're things blessed. happen what, the way they happen. What a, what a blessing to get you. Yeah. Through yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. What you've been going through. So, so keep going with this story. Cause it's, yeah, I'm, and I'm, she's a, she's a past firefighter medic too. So she kind of gets she, it. As she well. gets you. She gets yeah. you. So, um, so that was my big thing was about my kids and my family. Uh, I mean, my grandkids now text me. They FaceTime every day. Aww. They ask questions. Uh, one kid's a drummer and I'm a drummer. So we're doing that. Uh, one kid's a, a, is an athlete uh, and he's into golf and, and football and, and uh, basketball. So I would never go to a game, but now I go to all the games. Right. Uh, and, 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 yeah. The rest of them, they're getting older, too, and they're going to start getting into stuff. And I won't miss a thing. That's why I don't travel as much as I do anymore. Before the uh, before the pandemic, I was probably doing 75, 100 seminars a year uh, across the wow. country. You know, and I love it, but I don't want to do that anymore. I'll, you know, I'll do a couple here and there, but and I'm thrilled people are interested. It's not like they're not. in. I mean, I'm, I'm amazed that, that I get called places where I do. And, and you know, I'm. 
people are paying me for an opinion that city managers fired me four years ago, right? So, it's just, <laughs> that's kind of the way it works. So, yeah, so um, let's get back to the actual surgery real quick. And also, sure, had sure. the surgery. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, everything I just described was pain-free. They put me in, you know, when you get a colonoscopy, they kind of put you in that doozy sleep. Oh, so yeah. They put me in those doozy sleeps for anything that might have been painful. So what I did discover talking to a number of firefighters, they had no anesthesia for their biopsy. Stop and close that entrance door before anyone goes in there and you insist that you're going to have uh, anesthesia. Some surgeons don't do it. And these guys told me it was painful. It was all, no, that's ridiculous. So if anybody's taking notes, if you're, if you're going to have a, a biopsy, which you may have to have, no question, they're going to have to do that. Have them doze you off. And after that, you don't even know what happened. Yeah, so propofol. Anyway, propofol. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. It's, whatever it is. Yeah. You just doze you out. Right. So anyway, <clears throat> so the day of the surgery came, it was about a three hour surgery and I was out for a total of about eight hours. Okay. Uh, and um, uh, they hooked me up to a catheter. Uh, and the, I had a bag on my leg for a week. Uh, and again, I wasn't like, oh my God, I was like, whatever. I mean, I mean, do I want a bag on my leg? No, but you know what? I never had to go to go to the bathroom because you pee right in the bag. So that made it easy. Perspective. <laughs> I guess, you know, I mean, I just didn't think, you know, uh, that was a horrible thing. So, uh, I went back to the surgeon a week later, they removed the catheter, which was not painful. It took about five seconds and the PA who did it was very attractive. So it made it even easier. Okay. It wasn't Bruno coming in, ripping something out. <laughs> she was a little more sensitive. Uh, <laughs> and my wife was there with me. Everything I did, my wife was with me. I did not go to an appointment. I didn't go for surgery. She was there the entire time. Oh man, you've got to have an advocate. I don't care what you go to a hospital for. You've got to have an advocate. Oh yeah. Cause you're, you're in a weakened state and you got to, there's battles to fight beyond the med, you know, just the care that you're there for. And and you know what? Nurses are worked so hard today. They're so stressed and I'm not criticizing nurses at all. Those people are the heroes in the hospital, but they're expecting nurses to take care of a hundred patients a day and all. You got to have somebody there asking those questions. Oh, yeah. So they took the catheter out and then I started healing. Uh, I had no issues of healing. Um, I'll talk about that for a second. Actually, I had to wear Depends for a while and they're a lot more comfortable than I thought they'd be. They felt just like underwear. It was no big deal. Um, but I did get rashes down in that region down there just from the Depends and stuff. Okay. So I had to use some lotions and stuff like that for t- over time. Uh, but now, uh, again, my surgery was October 8th. So I'm a number of months into this. I no longer have to wear Depends. I do wear a little pad from time to time because you don't have the control you used to when right. it comes to urination, when it comes to peeing. So let me talk about that. Um, picture a uh, fire hose. Your nozzle is your wee-wee. And a coupling with a gated valve is your prostate. All right, remove the gate. That's what you're dealing with now. But leave it to you to compare the urinary tract to the fire hose and 
well, appliances. You know, <laughs> if you ever have to deal with uh, colorectal cancer, we might talk about Hearst tools, right? So, <laughs> <you know. laughs> so um, the prostate, and just Google it, you can look it up yourselves, but basically that controls the fluid, okay? Both your ability to pee as well as your, your uh, seminal fluid as well. Right. See. Um, so the best way for me to describe what it's like without a prostate is in the past, like right now we're on this call. If I have to pee in the past before surgery, I can wait till this call was over. Yeah. But if I have to pee now, I'll be back in a minute. Understood. <laughs> if I go, I'm fine. It doesn't, you just don't start peeing all over the place. Right. You know, it's coming, but you need to move right away to deal with that. Okay. And they give you Kegel exercises to do to strengthen that ability. Uh, and I've had very, very few, I'm talking maybe on one hand where I had to go change. And okay. that was earlier. Uh -huh. So, I mean, you're getting, used to, getting, you're getting used to it. There's, you get used to controlling it. You get used to understanding. Now, you tell me a really good joke and I start laughing crazy. I may have a little leakage, but it's like a dribble. It's nothing like, it's not like, right. You know, so, and I'm trying to be honest because when I started researching this, I can't get anybody. It's all medical stuff. So I'm trying to get people to understand in, in firefighter talk and firefighter spouse talk and firefighter partner talk to understand it. You know, if, if you go for a regular PSA, check you go uh after again after age 40 you get your prostate checked through the doctor wearing the glove uh and your doctor says go go to see urologist go to the urologist don't put it off because there are no symptoms i had no symptoms wow i was fine i felt great my prostate was fine uh, sex was fine peeing was fine everything was fine so if i had not paid attention to that number and here's the real issue. My second opinion, Dr. Johnny said, you would have had a, if you had not discovered this when in the way you did and got it dealt with six months from now, you'd have a different story to tell. Wow. That was sobering. And I use the example when people talk to me, when I explain that, uh, there'd be a spare chief's car at my fire department at this point. So I'd either be so messed up from all the surgery or I'd be gone. Uh, depending, or I'd be going through major treatments. So while I try to take a lighthearted uh, view of this, I don't ignore any of that. I don't ignore the signs. If the doctor says go, I go. Am I nervous? Certainly. I'm no different than you or anybody else listening to this. But I also know from, from preaching a lot of the firefighter safety stuff over the years, uh, cancer, heart, all that, it's not going to go away if you ignore it. It's just you, one day. Yeah, you can't wish it. You're not going to wish it away. And one day you're going to go to the bathroom and piss blood and your entire life changes after that. So that, that, that's, kind of, uh, that, that's kind of the thought. So, um, so my focus was my family, my grandkids, uh, the recovery period after surgery. Uh, I was off duty from October 8th to Thanksgiving. So about six not, weeks. Not too bad. I, I was back to making runs after Thanksgiving. And um, uh, before the surgery, I went to the bathroom before runs anyway. It just comes with age. I'm 66 years old. Uh, so running to the bathroom before runs, nothing new, right? Sure. 
but otherwise, um, I'm fine. Now, from a sexual standpoint, uh, you won't be back to where it used to be, but it definitely still is good. All right. Um, that's my hear. opinion. Um, I've talked to others, same, same thing. Um, so put aside your manliness and your macho-ness and understand there is sex after prostate surgery for many, many people. It may take a little bit different uh, work, a little bit more exercise, wink, wink, and things like that to get you where you want to be or close to where you want to be. But it ties back to Mr. Burroughs reminding me that it sometimes is just as wonderful to sit on the porch holding his wife's hand than right. it is being in bed going nuts and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not quite back to the sexual dynamo that I was, but I'm hoping <laughs> to get there. So <laughs> and that, that's the story. Uh, today, I'm fine. Um, I feel good. I feel real good. Uh, I am fatigued earlier in the day. Uh, okay. I will tell you that. Um, but that, you know, a lot of chunk of that's age, right? Some of that's age. Some of it is, yes, uh, fatigue. Um, and I'm feeling better now uh, than I was initially. Like I, for a while, could have gone to bed like at 5.30 and slept till 10 the next morning. But that was after, you know, last couple of months after. And that was the after effects of the, um, um, uh, the anesthesia. Okay. I do notice that I have to pause and think a little harder sometimes, like I just did when I couldn't think of anesthesia, but that's a mix of age. Uh, yeah. But that's um, it also is what it is. I wish I had something that paused me to think years ago in my career earlier. I would have probably had a less in-depth resume, but uh, you know. That, that's, a, that's a hell of a journey. And uh, yeah. I, think I, I heard a couple things in there, right? With one, with your doctor, trust, but verify with the second opinion. And the value of departments. So if you're on the job, the value of your annual physical, right? And, and that I know in, in my department, we would, after a certain age, you'd have the PSA screening, you know, each year. So the, the frequency of annual is a must. And then when you retire, I don't know too many, and, and you may, there may be some that the department still offer annual physicals, but when you're retired, you need to go for that physical annually, or you're going to miss something like this. Yes. Well, and there's no excuse. You know, people say, well, my department doesn't provide it, or we don't have insurance. Then get Obamacare. I mean, then you'll get a physical. I mean, well, I, and, and so many insurance plans, those, those physicals are just sure. part of the plan. There's no cost to you, even right. if you're on a high deductible plan, because it's preventative care. But talking about for volunteer firefighters, you may have self-employed, you may be yes. young, you may not have health insurance. So you know what? Get the federal program. I don't care if you're Republican yeah. or Democrat, you know what? It ain't bad. And it's providing health care for a lot of Americans that would never have had health care. So just get it done. There's well, no you're just reminding me I'm overdue for an annual physical. And this story has just in inspired me yeah. to go go yeah. and do it. And so, you know, we'll, we'll there was a lot of couple of other things I wanted to talk with you about, but I want to stay on this, this, this firefighter health and, and cancer and, sure. you know, your journey, your candidness with, with sharing your story. Um, I know will be so appreciated by everybody. And um, I'm going to have, you have to come back. Um, we'll keep talking a little bit more about, about cancer before we close today, but I want you to come back and there's a couple of things I want you to share one and just get you thinking for later on uh, mental health in the fire service. Um, I know that that's a big one and kind of rearing its ugly head more and more. And then we won't have time today, but I, I really want to hear your take on 
because you, you're a candid person, right? You're not necessarily um, to a, fault. <laughs> a paragon of political correctness and all that. And I know people will be cringing and such. And, and, and I just I want because you make me think of Nick Brunacini um, when he wrote his columns. I think it was staring at the sun or something like that. And I, I mean, there's very few things I would read that I would you know laugh out loud reading, but those were it. And sometimes you need that in today's world, but we'll do that next time. Right? We'll have you come back. But um, when, with cancer being the topic and, and you fighting it, beating it, what, what are the things besides the annual physicals, what are the things that you just would insist as a chief officer and evangelize to the rest of the fire community that they need to be doing to monitor and manage and reduce their risk. So let me let me make a comment first. I didn't fight cancer. I'm very lucky. I had surgery and it went away. Understood. Okay. And, 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 and I say that out of respect to the many that are going through radiation, that are going through chemo, that are rotting away uh, because of this disease. So while I am a cancer survivor, I've made it a point and I'm not correcting you or anybody. I'm no, just, no, I understand. My, my boss, who I'm very close to, uh, Uber, our chief at, at Loveland Sims, yeah. we had that discussion and it was a really good discussion because when I, when I met with him, he was one of the very few who knew I had cancer. Uh, we didn't even tell our kids till a few weeks before the surgery. And that was because I didn't want them to worry. I didn't want them to get on the internet searching this and that. And I wanted them to know we had a plan. And they all appreciate it. These are young adults with very busy lives. Yes. So um, I did want to mention, though, that 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 uh, prayers and and karma, good karma and thoughts go out to those who are fighting cancer uh, and who are leading horrible lives right now because of the treatment and the disease. So just keep that in mind. So what I want to yeah, we could talk about avoiding it. So, I mean. Look, it's 2022. If you haven't figured out we can get cancer easily, then you're a moron in our business. You can't breathe that crap. Uh, Well, I'm not getting any in me. Well, you know what? Here's how I can prove to you you're getting carcinogens in you. After your next working fire, when you go back to quarters, you go home and shower, you're going to smell smoke. Well, that's because the shit's inside you. That's it, period. That's your whole lesson. So it is in you. The best gear will not protect it from permanent permeating into your into your pores and your skin so while the gear will make it better and no gear and scba and not breathing it will make it very better to minimize your exposure a hood will minimize the smoke getting into your ear which gets into your brain right it's a direct pathway just like inhalation so the problem with cancer is it doesn't hit us right away. Now, it's 2022. There's not a fire department out there that's not going to block a scene with their engine. We know that. We know what we need to do. We're Right? It's 2022. There's not a firefighter that's going to go to a working fire without sizing it up because we know we have to do that. Because the impact is immediate. I'll get burned. I'll get, it'll collapse. I won't be able to get to the victim if I don't size it up the right way to get in there to find those people. Uh, We'll get run over on the highway if we don't block and protect. Those are immediate responses. If I breathe in a little smoke today, screw it. It's not going to bother me. And odds are I probably won't get cancer, yada, 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 yada. And that's what happens. 
when I started in the early seven, I started in 73. And from a period of 73 till 82, when I first became promoted to a chief officer, I was a lot of inside fires. We were going to a lot of fires back then. And we used to come back after a fire. And sometimes for days, we'd blow our nose, hold up the tissue to show how much black snot was coming out. And that was a badge of courage. We didn't know what we didn't know. That that dirty, dirty helmet, dirty gear, right? Absolutely. We took a feed. Oh, my God. One day, the fire department maintenance crew came in and washed all our helmets. Oh, Oh my God. We wanted to, I mean, it was, it was, it, we were really mad uh, that they <laughs> wow, did. That. Things are changing, man. Things have changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, so as a chief officer, as a company officer, and if you haven't followed Chase Sargent's book and his video and his series, Buddy to Boss, go read that. Buddy to Boss. The biggest yep. challenge we have is finding, well, we, the whole recruitment issue is a whole nother problem we have these days on both sides, career and volunteer. But you got to promote the people that can be a boss. I don't mean to be a jerk, but someone who's going to enforce your policies and procedures. You got to have a lieutenant on the scene. If he sees his folks take the mask off, he's going to make them put it back on. I got a great video in, in my collection that we use in teaching that shows a firefighter grabbing a nozzle who's an older firefighter is not wearing a mask. It's a working car fire. There's smoke all over the place. And the senior firefighter comes up behind him, pushes him aside, says, not today, pal. Go put your shit on. I was like, yeah, that's, that's a positive sign. Yeah. But look, I like a good feed as much as anybody else. I love going in or I did not as much anymore. I mean, that's not my job anymore. But and I've got, you know, behind me, you see a collection of some dirty helmets. And none of those are from training fires. Those are real fires where we went to a lot of fire. Yeah. And I love it. But you know what? I'm 66. I get to maybe live to 67 this year, you know, if I don't get run over by something. And, and that's a good thing. I get to see my, my uh, grandson perform, my granddaughter perform. And, 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 and that's a big deal. So um, you need a boss who's going to make sure that they're looking out for your family when you're not. You need a boss who's looking out for you when you're not. And you don't have to be a jerk. It's just a reminder. You set a culture on your shift. You set a culture in your firehouse so people understand what to expect from you. And that's how it's going to be. And, you know, sometimes if they just don't want to do what they're told, maybe this is not the place for you to be. You got to take a hard line. You got to you got to love them enough to to do the difficult things. And we want look now. So it makes it's even harder in our profession because what do we portray all the time? Brotherhood, sisterhood, which means we like each other. We have fun with each other. So now you're going to go from the person who's breaking some of those rules to the person who's enforcing those rules. And that's a challenge. But you know what? The answer to that is when they say, hey, you used to do this. Say, yep, now I'm a lieutenant. I ain't doing it anymore. Neither are you. And they may not like that or what that just doesn't make any difference. But be a boss. Take care of those people. Again, it doesn't mean you have to be a jerk. And to the chiefs listening, don't promote people just because they're good firefighters promote them because they can solve the stuff that keeps you up at night, which in most cases is going to be your personnel stuff. So anyway. So yeah, another thing, buddy to boss, right. You said about, you know, enforcing the policies, but boy, some, some places may need those bosses to develop some policies too. (laughs) Well, for that, I, I, 
I, I, I'm a big advocate for what Gordon Graham's created, and that's Lexapol. Yeah. And uh, I urge people to go to lexapol.com and check out that program. That's, uh, and you just mentioned it, that solves a big problem for fire departments. And, I, and there's other sample policies out there, but I'm a believer in systems, a system to teach our drivers, a system to hire, and a system of policy. So anyway, just yeah, my thoughts. Yeah. Well, first, I want to thank you for um, sharing a personal story today, your attitude in that whole journey that you, you, you displayed um, in, in facing it with, with courage and um, the, the parts about family, I think is going to stick and put things into perspective for a lot of us, even if we're not going through what you're going through, it gives you that perspective about what, what ultimately matters as much as you embody what the fire service profession is. It's just one part of you. It, it you know, it, it, it defines you. Yes. But you're also, and I said this at a, at a recent service for a, a captain that passed away. I said he he may have been defined defined by who he was and what he did um, in the fire service, but he was the definition of a family man. And I think your story exhibited that today as well. Yeah, well, you know, when all said is done, you got your family left, and I mean, some people have some screwed up families and all that, and I get that too. But for the most part, whoever those whoever they are is closest to you, and however you define family. That's that's kind of a big deal. So yeah, yeah. Well, you're 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 very richly blessed, and you've blessed, you have blessed all of us with your <laughs> leadership. I mean, you're you're Brunacini class, Chief Goldfeder. You know that. So, and uh, I just thank you for coming on the um, the podcast here today. And I want you to come back, and we can talk maybe on some lighter subjects, and certainly the the, the candor that I think is sometimes needed in in our business today. And and you bring that too. So. We'll, uh, we'll have you on again soon. Can I cover one thing? Of course. You, you talked about the mental health aspect of that. And I forgot yes. to get that today or not. So I want to touch on that real quick. Yeah, please do. <clears throat> so, and this is really to company officers more than anybody else. Uh, and, and, the de- and the deputy chiefs and the battalion chiefs, the, the people who supervise people. You may not like the generation that's out here today, but no one cares. No one cares what you like or care. It just doesn't matter. Because when you started in the fire service, the Vietnam vets thought you were an idiot. And when I started, the World War II guys thought I was a lazy piece of crap, right? So that's a generational thing. What you need to do is adjust and understand that while this this generation you may think is softer or different or whatever, um, what you need to do is understand that they're just different, it doesn't mean they're bad or worse. It means they're different. And I have a favorite example I use with that. And, and, and there was a horrible run in our region here that I responded to. And it involved the death of a bunch of kids and some adults and stuff. And I remember, and it, you know what? And I hate to say it, but I slept like a baby that night. Because, I mean, our job is to go to bad stuff. I accept that. And, and mm-hmm. I really did. I talked yeah. to my wife a little bit about it and went to bed and I slept fine. You know, I didn't cause that problem. But a couple months later, a couple of firefighters retired who were nowhere near ready to retire. And that really put a light on my head. I started thinking about that. Oh, wow. Here's, here's the analogy I use. So let's say you and I and, and our wives or whoever, we all go out for dinner and you order fish. I hate fish. I can't stand this. And I think growing up on Long Island, we had a lot of delis. And when I was a little boy, my dad would go to the deli and these fish were staring at me from these frozen 
things right in front of my level there. Oh, all these uh, dishes. Oh. Maybe so, that's what did it. So no, so so no sushi for you. Oh hell no, hell no. <laughs> I'll have some tempura or teriyaki or some shit. Right? So the fact that you like fish and I don't like fish means we have a different taste, but it doesn't mean you're right or wrong. So then we go out to dinner after dinner, we all go to the movies and you and I are watching a movie and we're just, you know, typical firefighters. We're laughing because it's stupid. And our wives or partners or spouses, whoever are with us. And they're looking at us like we're morons. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a, I'm used to that look. I mean, it, you know, it's nothing new. So does it mean you're right? Cause it's funny or you're no. And that's what I I'm trying to get people to understand. The fact that you are not bothered by a certain type of run does not mean you should place that over your entire crew. As a lieutenant or captain, you have an obligation to understand that your crew of one, two, three, or four may have had some trauma in their lives that impacted that, uh, may be just more sensitive than you are. And again, no one cares if you like that or not. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You are being paid to take care of and supervise the people. So I really try hard and I use it in many venues as I can to get these lieutenants and captains. Ah, oh, he's just a wimp. It doesn't matter. And, and define wimp. Okay. Maybe you couldn't do some of the things these kids are doing. Okay. Let me see you get on a computer and do what my grandkids can do. Right. Yeah. So we just have to understand that when we go to these bad calls, we have an obligation, whether or not you like it or not, to make sure that you keep an eye on the crew because that dead baby in that run may not bother you, but that may impact a firefighter who may have lost a wife, uh, may have lost a loved one recently. Yeah. So just pay attention. Show the same apathy you have for the public to your crew. And, 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 and I think, you know, we'll do anything for the public. We'll go out of our way for the public. Well, let's treat our crew the same way. Yep, and even taking- if they, and if, even if they're not the same way you are, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah Cause you don't, you don't get to choose the people you take care of when you're responding for Mrs. Smith. So how about firefighter Smith? You got to take care of them too. And if that run is making firefighter Smith down and depressed, have a conversation, but here's lesson number two. You are a first responder when it comes to your personnel. You are not an expert. You're an expert at the house fire. You're an expert at the auto extrication because you've got the certifications and qualifications to deal with that. But you have no certifications or qualifications to help your employee through a marital issue or through a drug issue or an alcohol issue. But you are a first responder. And just like you go to a hazmat run, and you get there and you realize this is well beyond our capabilities. We call in the regional hazmat team. Yeah. When you're dealing with a personnel issue, drugs, alcohol, whatever, behavioral, you're the first responder. Identify the problem, contain the problem, and then refer that employee to the right people. I've gotten jammed up in my career thinking that, and this is many years ago, but I, you got marital issues, come talk to me. I'll be glad to listen to them. Yeah. No. not and you said how are things culturing in 2022 that's a big warning sign people are more sensitive people are different it's just the way it is so while you can show sympathy if you come to me today and say hey chief you got a minute 
I'm having a terrible time. My yeah. wife, I don't know what to do. I say, you know what, Tom, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Here's a couple ideas I got for you, but I'm not going to give you my opinion and thoughts because that's an area that I'm not qualified in. Yeah. Knowing what you can do sometimes just listening. And then you're just like when we transport someone having an MI, you get them to the ER, to, to the, the cath lab, to the care. cardiologist. You're the bridge. You're the critical bridge to get them to the definitive care that they need when it comes to mental health. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But you mentioned it earlier in the, in our discussion. I did want to share that because I think it's really important for someday. So you get promoted and suddenly you're in charge of the world uh, and you feel like you can take on any problem. And we have to understand what our capabilities are. You better be able to handle that house fire, that extrication, that cardiac arrest. But the per personnel issue, until we offer better training for officers on dealing with that, uh, and to me, that means you're a PhD in psychology. Yeah, psychology. Yeah, Let's psychology. get you to where yeah. you need to go because we're going to take care of you. So anyway, my thoughts. On no, that's that's uh, that's good good advice, and I, I'm glad you were willing to take a little time to sh to share that. Uh, thank you. This has been a just a wonderful conversation. Um, time flies when we're talking, yeah. and uh, just thank you. Um, continued good health. You know, we all we all wish you continued good health, and. I look for our paths to cross at the, are you going to be going to FDIC? Of course. All right. I, I, we'll, we'll connect somehow there. Have you come over to, to first dues booth just to say hello at the very least. And then I'd like to have you come back again. Um, you know, later this year, we'll have you come back and, and share some more. Um, but thank you for sharing, sharing such a personal story. I think sharing that others will, I think, get a tremendous, I mean, different lessons for sure, but they're going to get something out of it. So thank you. And check out www the number four zero plus yes. fire 40 plus fire uh, all the resources you would need about prostate cancer are on there plus you can get some free helmet stickers that are actually really cool i saw them they are cool and uh that's also a great site even if even if it's not pro if if you're not the one enduring prostate cancer and you know someone in or outside the fire service there's resources for them there that's it okay thanks chief billy, billy goldfeder thank you so much See you again. Take care. Yeah. Talk to you soon.